Hello everyone, this is Sean, the brother Sean, and normally when we start these, we have a bumper from Jesse, does something comedic and interesting, funny. We we have one of those for you here, but this is not Jesse. Uh, this is today's guest for, for this podcast episode, and, and a good friend of ours, um, O'Neill Saunders, another brother-in-law, um, lawyer out of Ohio. We'll talk more about his background later, but let's get right to his clip. Oh, hello. I'm Dr. Evil. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> because it's clearly December of 2019. It's definitely not April of 2020. Not at all. No, no, no. You can tell it's Christmas of 2019 by my holiday regalia. <laughs> I'm so festive. And the wonderful festive music playing in the background. Well, you see, I'm here in my Chinese lab doing some experiments. I was contracted by the U.S. government to do some uh, genetic experiments combining pangolins with bats. You see, to create some flying armored troops. Sort of like the flying monkeys in The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> now, I just must use my talents. So, but while doing that, I, I noticed this odd, odd virus that was present in them. And so I was doing some experiments as a, trying to isolate it and see what it does in case it may have some other use. <laughs> and so here we have it, and I'm combining them and then... <laughs> <laughs> Never mind that. Uh, I think a, a paper towel or something might take care of that. <laughs> Excuse me, I've got to <laughs> go clean up. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brothers-in-Law Podcast. As always, it's your boy, Jesse McCoy, and I'm joined by the world's foremost leading legal humorist, Sean Carter. How you doing, man? Well. <laughs> and I'm also joined today by special guest, Mr. O'Neill Saunders. How you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good, brothers. All right. So it's been a busy time uh, in the interim since we've last recorded uh not a very positive time or positively negative or negatively positive or uh however we're describing uh the the life in black america over the past two weeks it's been rough out here yeah i i, I, I told you many times before I'm, I'm i'm thinking about going uh maybe fijian um uh maybe maybe try to try to pass as cuban a little bit uh, if I straighten my hair a little more, <laughs> uh, it, it's, 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 it's too hard being black. It, it's, it's rough. Yeah, it's, it's been completely rough. So, uh, for those of you who may not have, have known, uh, we have a case of Ahmaud Arbery. And if you haven't been keeping up with all the news stories, just know that initially Mr. Arbery was accused, convicted, and executed, uh, for what we don't really know. <laughs> at this point, by uh, a father-son duo uh, who doubles over as, I guess, community subdivision security. Uh, and apparently, you know, the person who was recording them uh, at first, I guess, was trying to clear somebody's name. It looks like he was trying to clear uh, his friends, but now has gotten himself arrested 
too. And if you haven't seen the video, I would not encourage you to do so if you're trying to have an uplifting and enlightening day. But the video does show uh, Brother Arbery murdered right in in the street like a dog. Yeah. Now, I, I guess, and, and the thing about it is, is that, you know, I think it's hit a lot of people's attention. First of all, by the way, this happened two months ago, right? Over two months ago. Um, and before all of the, the pandemic and everything started. And just so for, for context, there are these two neighbors see this black guy in the neighborhood. They're, they think he might have walked in some house or at least some house of construction, or whatever, thinks he's stolen something because he can carry a whole TV out in his, in his pants or whatever. And they start chasing him down their truck. He's running down, down the street. Um, another guy is recording the video. They attempt to stop him. He does not stop because who stops for two crazy white guys with a gun in the middle of the street? And they end up shooting and, and, and killing him. And the reason that the video was made or the video was turned over to the police is it was, these guys did not, like, the white guys did not then leave the scene of the crime, right, and say and run. They called the police like, hey, we're standing around. We think we're in the right here. Here is the video. The video that we saw, they turned over to the police and said, this is our proof of exoneration. And the crazy part is for 73 days, the police looked at him like, yeah, it's good to me. Yep, police, the DA. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, one of the things. One of the things that's important to note here, though, is this is also Glenn County, Georgia, which for those of you who uh, are not familiar with Georgia, uh, it's that outside racist part that's not Atlanta. Uh, and so in Glenn <laughs> County, Georgia, uh, you know, I felt horrible watching the video only because you see somebody who's obviously looking at it looks like an unfinished developing house. They come outside. You've got you're in southern Georgia. You see white men with guns and a truck. Uh, and I was applauding Brother Arbery for not going out uh, like a punk because he got some hits in for sure. Um, and so. Him trying to get away, I, I could just imagine in those last few moments of life, the, the fight for survival, these people who don't know you, they're coming after you. But then we find out that this was not the first encounter that they have had with Mr. Arbery. As a matter right. of fact, the, the older McMichaels apparently was uh, working for the police department in some capacity or the DA's office as an investigator, I believe, in, in some capacity. And you know, now as part of the media's uh, character sabotage and assassination technique, uh, all of these videos are being brought up that don't really show Mr. Arbery doing anything wrong, but they just show interaction with law enforcement. Agreed. Now, 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 brother Neil, you get the you, you see the video originally, and I assume yes, your first thought is what everybody else had. As this is sort of shaken out and you've seen the media thing, um, what's, what would have been your impressions? My impression is that uh, they were out to get this brother. Um, I didn't see anything in the uh, situation of the video that appeared that the brother was doing anything particularly wrong. Um, nothing different than you saw all the other people going in and out of that house. Well, and let's be clear about that. Uh, because that's the thing that, that sort of, I think, you know, that, that's gotten people distracted. By the way, including me, where yeah. there's a video of him walking into this, this, this house that's under construction renovation, right? right. 
And the thing that was interesting to me was, is how many people were like, yeah, that's something I do all the time, right? And I confess that I'm not that curious. So it would never like occur to me. But then I thought about it and I'm like, yeah, my mother would do that. Right. If she saw somebody saw a house on construction, you know, she might be curious and, and, and want to take a peek. There's also a story, I guess, more recently that there was a water source there. And that he might have been stopping to take a drink, which totally makes sense. As hot as it looks out there, out there. And so certainly I think we all can agree he wasn't there to steal anything. One, there's nothing in the house to steal. What are you going to get? Two, and, and how do you carry it out? And you, you know what I mean? You don't go to go to rob someone's house and, and walk away from the scene of the crime. That's crazy. Right. right. So it's certainly clear that he wasn't there. He might have been just curious or whatever. Um, but, you know, a lot of people are going to hang their head on that. The DA hung their head on that originally. Right. And said, hey, we, you know, these people saw him commit a crime. And so they chased him down as a citizen. And, and, and you know, and the rest went bad. But, you know, we're fine with it. Um, I don't know what crime they think they saw. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do know that one of I think the issues that we're missing here is the idea that assuming that, you know, he is in the house or whatever, we really got to start rethinking whether private citizens should have this arrest power and particularly the power to use deadly force mm-hmm. in an arrest. Yeah. Right. Because uh, there's a lot of times where, you know, you could you could think something's going on. Um, you know, I, I think about it, you know, I, we know a lot of people, for instance, where, you know, if you're a black kid living with white parents, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're Gary Coleman and, and, uh, what, Willis, you know, Arnold and Willis Jackson, right? right, right. <laughs> Every time you go in your parents' house, someone could think that you're robbing the place. And so do they then get to now shoot you? Right. Because of their, you know, it's a suspicion, which is, you know, completely unfounded, but just, you know, um, um, and and so I think, you know, we've really got to sort of think about these ideas of stand your ground. The idea that you can pull a gun on someone, shoot and then, you know, shoot them and say it was self-defense. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's so problematic because we hear about these stories over and over. It's very similar to George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin and George Mm -hmm. Zimmerman being under some presumed belief right. that he was law enforcement, even though the police are telling him not to do anything. And he decides that he wants to follow this child home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think one of the concerns that we have is one, I just don't understand in the scope of whiteness, what makes people feel like they want to confront someone, even if they were committing a crime. Right. I kind of feel like in, in my community, um, if it's something that's even noteworthy enough to call the police about, then they handle that. It's not my job to go out here and risk life and limb trying to bring somebody else into justice if they're not harming me or somebody in right. my family. Right. So I don't know. And it just seems awkward that there's this intense level of curiosity whenever there is a black person just existing or doing something normal that white people are like, oh, you don't belong here. And I think it all bleeds back into privilege. Um, we, we saw a similar situation in Oklahoma where the, the homeowners guys come and they block in a black delivery driver because they say, hey, this is a gated community. Why are you here? Who are you here for? And, and basically cross-examining him when they have no right. Hey, you, you want to play that video? Yeah, yeah, we can play that. Yeah, let's go ahead and show this. This is a situation. The brother's way he's, he's uh, delivering furniture. I don't know if he said what he was delivering. He, he, he went to New York. So fair enough. He's in a delivery truck. By the way, a delivery truck. 
But you're not in a, you know, a 64 Impala. Here's, here, here's the, 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 the um, conversation. We start with the brother. Explaining it. I'm trying to leave. And I got super neighborhood, the super neighbor over here blocking me in. So I'm going live. This is what I'm dealing with right now. This is what I'm dealing with. This is who I'm dealing with. Napoleon, move out the way. My name's David Stewart. I don't care what your name is. Get out the way. I don't care. Move out the way, sir. You picked the wrong day. Move out the way. Can you tell him to hang up and move so I can leave? Thank you. Alright, so this goes on for a while. I assume that the, the, what, what cracks me up, what gets me so far is the fact, one, this guy knows he's on camera. He right. is happy to be identified. Yeah. Right? right. Sure, he in the right here. Alright? Not, he's not <laughs> going to have a problem at all. One, please, this is my name, my social security number, right? Here is my address. Right. The other part is amazing to me is, and they can't see the video. Uh, this is not a tiny brother. You're right. Absolutely. All three of us together would not mess with this brother. <laughs> 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 All right. And I'm just like, boy, I, I, I want to get this white at one point. Where I'm not even afraid uh, that, 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 that some big old dude who got a right to whoop my butt is going to. Yeah, it's it's boldness, man. It's a new level of boldness. And and what's funny is, um, like you said, this is a delivery truck. So right. I don't even understand how this generates any kind of curiosity. On top of that, you know, he started asking questions to the delivery driver about well, what were you delivering and who are you delivering to? And the delivery driver's like, no, I don't have to tell you anything, which is 100% true. And if you've seen the comments to this video, there are a lot of people, uh, particularly white folks in America, who do not believe that uh, the black guy was right in not revealing <laughs> where he was going. Apparently, there right. is some honor tradition that we are supposed to show our freedom papers and tell people right. who we are and where we're going and why we're there and what time we're going to leave. And it, it seems like it just permeated American society altogether. It, uh, O'Neal, you obviously, I imagine you live out in the suburbs too, right? Yes, I do. You experience this and, kind of uh, stuff? Oh, yeah, I've experienced this many times over life, um, both in the suburbs here and then just even before growing up when I wasn't in the suburbs. Just, I, I think pretty much anybody uh, of any age uh, who's black has experienced this at some point. No, no, it, it, it's true, but this idea of, you know, like I said, you know, proving that you, okay. you, know, you know, have to, you know, that, that you, like I said, and address it. I mean, the best way to put it, you know, you got to show his freedom papers, right? He need to tell them, no, by the way, the driver's not just being indignant and being, by the way, just, I don't know, a free human being in the 21st century. 
but he understands the company has a policy about disclosing this. You don't need, you're not supposed to tell people's neighbors they just got a new TV set or a new bedroom right. set, right? <laughs> that could be dangerous. Now, and this isn't the only one I've seen recently. I've seen a couple others where people were in their uniforms with their uh, utility company or cable with the big truck and were being questioned. Well, one of my favorites, I guess, is a couple of days, or the one about some brothers from UP, uh, I think it's FedEx actually, who posted the video. They got fired after posting the video of being harassed. And <laughs> there was another one that was about another delivery guy that was from five years ago that I had to yell at people yesterday about posting. And, and, and if you're a white person, please help me out. I respect the fact that you're trying to raise awareness. Um, but uh, I, I can only deal with uh, current racism. <laughs> I can't go no further back than 2018. All right, no further back than that. I can't. You don't take me back to you know 1973. All right, um, and because and, and a lot of times you know you just see the stuff and people post the things without looking at. But the, but the data is actually always up top. So don't do that. <laughs> somebody got me all, all, all my feelings yesterday and told me that somebody posted that Ken Norton, the boxer, died. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> my wife was like, didn't he die a long time ago? <laughs> yeah. I don't think I, I, I think Ken Norton died before I was alive. Like 2013, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm like, so, 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 you know, let's raise awareness, but, you know, um, keep it, keep, keep it current. But, there is an idea that, like I said, we have to sort of show our papers. And and the other thing is, and it's kind of amazing is, and maybe it's just me, but uh, I, 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 how am I say this? I don't give a damn if you rob my neighbor's entire house. <laughs> it would never occur to me. I mean, see, I live in a neighborhood just like you do. How many, how many people, I've been in my neighborhood 15 years. In that amount of time, say 20, 30, 40 homes in whatever the neighborhood, there have probably been about, I don't know, let's say 50 people who moved. It never mm-hmm. occurred to me that I was going to, to, to uh, question any of those, you know, moving companies, right? Any of those drivers, make sure that they had, you know, were, were doing the right thing or moving. Right. You know what I mean? Like, who the right. heck thinks that way? With too much free time, man, I, I just don't know. I have no idea. And, and I tell you, this guy had a little immunity because I was so pissed about this one. I was like, okay. In the past, you know, in, you know, you know, people on in various Facebook groups I'm in uh, will, you know, dox the person, you know, write the person's, um, you know, employer. And so I was like, okay, we're gonna get this fool. Um, he, he, it turns out, we can't really get him because he worked for him. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he's not going to fire him. Uh, I was going to write his employer, found out who it was, write some LLC, and I tried to find out who his customers were. I, yeah, I was going to go up the chain. He, by the way, you know, this is a guy who looks bummy here, but it's like, uh, you know, owns an oil and gas company. Mm. Uh, yeah. Um. So, um, so, so it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's unfortunate because, you know, there's got to be a way to sort of, I think, peacefully deal with this by, you know, trying to expose people. And But it really only works if the person is fireable, right, or has something, you know, it can be held accountable. It's kind of tough when, you know, someone's a, a, a sole prior. It's real tough when the person's retired, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> they don't care. 
they don't give a damn, right? And um, and so I mean, I'm, I, you know, anybody, you guys have any idea of how we? Because I felt bad for this brother. He has to have that much restraint. I want to whoop this guy's ass, and I'm here in Arizona. <laughs> Right, five states over. And I'm looking at my screen like I wish he would. Right? I wish he would. Right, but <laughs> and this poor brother. I heard an interview with him where he tried to explain. Look, I had to get home to my family, so I had to be calm. Right, and I was just like, right. man. Um, uh, but how would you guys? I mean, what, what, what do you think we can deal with this? I mean, I just want to commend that guy the, the, the tremendous resilience and restraint that he had. And I love the fact that you could tell that he has had the same talk that everybody has with their parents about, you know, yeah. even when this guy left, he was like, I don't want to leave too fast because the police might come and think I'm fleeing from the scene of a crime. Right. So when you're black, you have to plan for so many different tangential <laughs> outcomes that you just want to make sure that you're in the right. And, uh, and I think, you know, he handled it the best way that he could. Now, me, myself, and I personally, I, I don't know that I have that same degree of restraint. Um, I, I think I'm getting out the truck. It's going to be a problem. Um, only, only because, like, I, I never I, – I'm trying to, you know, improve myself, but I never really stop to think, you know, where this person works and maybe you can harm them in a financial way and get right. even that way. It just takes too long for me. Like, for me, it's like, look, look. I need to be somewhere, and you're not moving. Right. I'm going to call my boss. I'm going to let him know what's going on. And then after that, if you're still not moving, I'm getting out of the truck. Right? right. Or I'm thinking, you know, this guy, he did obviously didn't want to drive around in somebody's grass and mess up their yard. But I might do that. Right? Like, I might bust into you around their car, and I'm out. Um, so I think – but but even with that, you have to be cognizant because I think in situations like this, people who are – unafraid to come up to your driver's side window, probably have a firearm ready mm-hmm. to go, and probably waiting on you mm-hmm. to lose your temper mm-hmm. so they can have an excuse yep. to be able to do something. And I get that too. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's just like as as a black person, I think we've all been taught what we're supposed to do, but sometimes you feel a little bit more Huey Newton than you do Martin Luther King, you know? Like, like something yeah. just depends on the day, right? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, 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 here's the thing is, and Justin and I talked about this so many times. I'm glad to have you here, O'Neill. And by the way, just we didn't really introduce O'Neill properly. This is another brother-in-law, um, another black lawyer. Um, in, in your official title, get get the title. Go ahead and give a title, uh, O'Neill. My official title is Deputy General Counsel. Deputy Ooh. General Counsel. And how in North America, right? Yes. And. Yes, uh, Exactly right. So this is another, um, you know, uh, this is a very um, another brother-in-law, um, and you're about my age. You graduated like one year after I did, so we were grown folks here. Mm-hmm. I have like I get strange looks, but I confess, and maybe I don't know what it is. It's the time, the age. Maybe um, I have a crazy look on my face. I don't know, but I don't get a lot of like direct confrontation. Mm-hmm. And I see this happening, and like it's hard for me to fathom how I would deal with the situation because it hasn't happened. Like for example, I'm 52 years old. I've never been called the N word to my face. Mm. Now, I've been called it, I'm sure, hundreds of times, right behind my back as soon as I left, right. But but you know, after I picked up my check. <laughs> 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 but 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 
to my face. Like, it's unfathomable to me. I'm like, I don't even know how I would deal with this, right? Because normally, and, you know, maybe it's a size thing, when you're 6'4", 200 pounds, people don't normally bother you. But this brother's huge, and they were still bothering him. And so I'm not sure, like, you know, how I would react to that. Only have you been dealing with, with situations of, you know, outright blatant to-your-face disrespect? It's It's been a long time since I've encountered anything that blatant. I was right. much younger. And, and uh, yeah, because I, I, you get the sort of backhanded things. And things right. Like that, things. <laughs> um, like, I'm, I'm things, so surprised but, uh, you can read stuff, right? I get that, right? Yeah, You're right. Right. But uh, I, so I don't even know how I would handle it. You know, it's, it's, I think, like, just as it, it might depend on the moment of the day. You catch right. me at the wrong time. Like, I've had a few times in the last few weeks where it's like, they might have just said hi to me and I would have punched them. But, um. well, and I think that's the, the thing that's kind of interesting is, is, is like you said, it's like when you're younger and just as a, you know, is a few years younger than us, it happens to you more often. You know, when you get to a, 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 a you know, an older age, especially, you know, you're running around the suburbs, right, in, in a cardigan sweater, um, you know, people sort of, <laughs> and that's the thing that, that got me about this whole thing, you know, the Trayvon Martin is the thing that really kind of, uh, will be the word for it, blackenized me, um, mm-hmm. and, and made me really think about these things, because, you know, I was getting older, um, you know, in the suburb, and, in, you know, with a law degree, and for the most part, cops had been actually fine with me. And uh, I mean, I've been stopped three times um, on my, you know, on the road where I'm driving between place to place, and, as you know, in the last ten years. And not only have I, I not gotten a ticket in any of those situations, but two of them were like trying to give me an escort to where I was going. Oh wow! <laughs> where are you? I gotta move. <laughs> now he was. Yeah, okay. okay. Here's how it works. They just wanted you out of town. Yeah, exactly. So I'm in. I'm in. I'm in the Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri. How scary is that, right? I can hear the, the banjos, right, the deliverance. The guy go through a speed trap, 2 in the morning. As soon as I follow through, cop, right, pulls me over, and he's like, you know, where are you headed? And I said, I'm sorry, sir, I'm headed to, to so-and-so. I told him I was going to the lodge, you know, it's the high-end lodge. And he was like, what, what are you doing there? I said, well, at six hours I'll be speaking to a group of judges and uh, you know, district attorneys. Uh, oh, oh, um, you need directions? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Once he found out that if I wouldn't, didn't show up at eight in the morning, there were going to be people looking for me, right? And, 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 and so, you know, you have that kind of, by the way, I use that every time. Every time, I mean, if you catch me going anyway, I could be going, you know, with, with no sign right to this convenience store. If you ask me where, cop asks me where I'm going, I'm going to a speech. I speak to lawyers and judges. Yeah, I got to use it. Right? Two in the morning, I'm going to see lawyers and judges, right? But because of, you know, having that sort of, you know, white card or whatever, I never thought of it, but my sons don't have that. Mm. Right? And that is what really kind of, you know, got me thinking about it. When you get older, you know, my dad is 77 years old. I mean, he's not that worried about, you know, the cost of pulling out of a car most times. But the idea of, you know, your sons and grandsons, and like, for instance, O'Neill, you, you know, you've got a, what, it's just what, right, 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 22-year-old son? Yeah, a 22-year-old son and a getting to be 25-year-old daughter, so. Mm. so yeah, I think about it with the son especially. Um, right. Yeah. 
Well, I, y'all have much better stories than I do because <laughs> my, my list of police run-ins is numerous, and only one is a good one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but about that, that's because you're young and, and think about it, when you had those run-ins, you were much younger. You know, as a young black man, yeah, you, you know, I've been, yeah, yeah I, I remember I grew up in, in Compton. Um, you know, that, that you were always going to be on the, on, on the curb somewhere. Right. But, you know, normally you get a little older and get a little gray. And that's your problem, too, by the way. Both O'Neill and I, you, got, you don't have any gray in your beard, man. I've, oh, I've got a little bit in there. I know. Uh, you got some. Jesse don't have none. You yeah, got a yeah, piece of Yeah, he doesn't have anything. Yeah. <laughs> I got my first friend. I'm trying to nurture it, you know. <laughs> I don't have any gray up top. On, my, on the top of my head, it's just gray in my beard. And people are like, Sean, why wouldn't you just shave the beard off, right, so you don't have any gray? And I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get shot. Right, I need I need this protection. We're as close to white as I'm gonna get. Great, uh, that's close enough. <laughs> now, by the way, uh, we're talking about all these brothers. We did not talk about Brianna. What's Walker? Taylor. Taylor. Yeah, Taylor. Taylor. Tell the story, Jesse, because I'm uh, I gotta get her name right. So this is a tragedy on multiple levels because Brianna Taylor worked uh, as one of those essential workers at a hospital in healthcare saving people during this COVID-19 crisis. Uh, she comes home from work. The police raid uh, a house, which apparently they, I guess, had already arrested the person that they were there to get hours before. Yeah. Uh, start shooting, end up killing Miss Taylor. Uh, and, you know, just the, the process by which the law enforcement officers went about doing this altogether has been called into question. Uh, her family has, uh, gathered to, I think they were supposed to address, uh, Louisville City Council. This is Louisville, Kentucky, by the way. Um, I think they were supposed to address Louisville City Council either last night or the night before. Haven't seen that yet. Uh, but this is a, yet another situation where we have overly aggressive law enforcement who, I mean, so for all intents and purposes, we can't really tell what they were doing. If, if the person they were there to arrest has already been arrested, I'm not really sure why they came back. Um, so, you know, we're still trying to get details on what's going on with that situation. It's also another case that, uh, Benjamin Crump has, has taken on to put in the forefront. And we wanted to make sure that we provide attention to it because oh, it's too often that we get caught up in black male victims of police brutality and we don't always do the best job emphasizing what's happening also to our sisters out there. So, um, we want to make sure that we stay on top of it. I'm hoping to get a link to the uh, Louisville city council meeting to find out who's saying what on the city council uh, mm. and to put more pressure on that and include those links on the brothers in law Facebook page as well. You know, we had this conversation a little bit online. I had asked the question. I've admit I've been very negative. About, I've, you know, I've talked about all of the other ones, you know, what do you think it is though that, 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 you know, makes these cases of, Men falling victim to either, you know, over, over police or vigilantes, much more visceral to us than our sisters. I'm not saying visceral, but it's something we talk about much more. And any ideas as to why we focus so much more on those? Well, just from a lot of community activism work that I have formerly done, I think that one of the main groups of people who drive community activism is black women. Right. And I think black women are very, uh, oftentimes, um, eager to emphasize the wrongs that are done to the men in our community because many of them are mothers mm, in right, okay. their wives. So mm. I think they do a great job of letting the world know all the things that are impacting 
they're men. I think the difference, though, is when it starts affecting them, not only does the media tune them out, right? Um, Because they say, oh, we already gave you your five minutes when you talked about your son or your brother or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not only do they get tuned out, but I think also it hits different because, you know, we always think about when we're raising daughters, how to protect daughters from men, right? Mm -hmm. You don't always hear how to protect daughters from you know, law enforcement. It's not something that is common conversation as opposed to we all know that the son is going to have a talk about how to interact with law enforcement. Well, so, no, stop, stop right there because you're making a great point and you and I don't have daughters, but O'Neill does. Did you give your daughter the same talk that you did your son? Honestly, probably not, uh, not as much or right. not the same. You know, because you just think about it, it's, it's in the collective mind, you know, the, the concept of the black male being targeted or having to deal with these things. And, um, no, no, I, I, I agree. I, I would think the same thing, too, you know, and, and it's, it's funny because even when we see examples like Sandra Bland or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. it still sort of takes um, a, a second for us to really, um, you know, digest the fact that, um, you know, they're not much safer than we are. Atiana Jefferson. Right. Um, and it turns out that, you know, seriously, they're, they're, sadly, they're, they're not any safer than, than we are. Um, it is something, so we want to make sure we, you know, sort of talk about that. I was talking with my wife about that. And, you know, one of the things that I'm going to try to do is to, you know, highlight the, the voices of black women more. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's amazing how, think about how many times, you know, sisters will, will trumpet us. I'm sure all of us who, you know, are, 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 are you know, respective, you know, Facebook followings, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, constantly supporting us or whatever. And, and, and it, it's funny how it seldomly, you know, goes the other way. Right. right. Right, absolutely. And and I think it's one of the things that we see, not just with these situations, but even on a, a political scale. So, you know, oftentimes it's not uncommon for black women to be overlooked as a voting block, as a, a unit of people to be marketed to. Um, it, it's just one of those things where I think the world wants to believe sometimes that black women don't exist or if they do, that they exist in some form of character uh, that they've seen displayed in movies or TV shows as opposed to accepting black women for all of their accomplishments because nobody is winning in America like black women are winning. Uh, so, sure. you know, I, I just think that it, it makes it easier for, you know, the media and everybody else to cover everything else. And it's, it becomes a point that men in our society, particularly black men, have to do a better job of trying to emphasize these injustices as well. In, in all honesty, when you're talking about police brutality, um, it, it, to me, it really shouldn't even matter about race because a threat to anybody from the police department is a threat to everybody. But the only reason that I, I always try to ratchet up the advocacy for uh, black people is one, because I know the media is not going to do it. They're going to try to find out when you got arrested or when you went to the principal's <laughs> office. Um, and then the, the other reason is I just think that, you know, white people kind of have a built-in mechanism where you can, you can be white in America and have been strung out on drugs and committed all kinds of robberies 
and you go home and you shave and you take a shower and you throw a suit on and you still have opportunity, right? Mm. You're a changed man. Right. But it doesn't work like that when you are a minority. And the system in and of itself oftentimes is designed in such a way that even if we have a child who stumbles in high school, that will ultimately deter his whole life because of something stupid in a high school uh, decision. Right. So, yeah. you know, I, I think it's important for us to be our own best advocates. And, and that's, that's very true because one of the things I do is I, I sit on the Columbus Urban League board and, of course, we work with, you know, our community and the urban community, and and that's a big part of it. Is people just like that, and you're exactly right about how that gets held against them and and can throw them totally off the track, uh, mm-hmm. even when they're doing their best to uh, and for a long time to uh, get back. And yeah. uh, I think that is often overlooked. No, no, I, 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 absolutely. Um... You, you know the the the, the Ahmaud Arbery thing taught me something though even even about myself um, where you know first like you know I was you know horrified like everybody else and the story first is told to me it it it, it was a story that basically you know he's running down the street he's jogging at night doesn't or in daytime and all of a sudden these two people you know he has no idea who they are um, you know jump out and kill him and obviously that story is you know horrifying. And so when someone started trying to tell a different narrative for the wrong reason, they're trying to say that he was guilty of this or whatever, I got to tell you, you know, to be honestly, it made me feel a little better. Mm-hmm. And, and this is how sad it is. But here's, here's, here's the thing about it, and it's actually an observable psychological effect. It's called the just world bias. And it basically says that most of us want to feel that the world is somewhat reasonable and fair. Right. And so it's like there's got to be something here that I can now sleep with my sons. The idea that they could just be running down the street and chased down and killed is, is too horrific for me. I wanted to believe that maybe if, if he's in the house, that I can convince my son not to go in the house. There's something I could do to save him. Right. right. You know what I mean? And so I'm willing to believe almost anything. So I can have this belief that, you know, my sons are not that, da- that, 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 um, vulnerable. And, and so part of me understood. I was like, oh my God, I kind of get how white people start latching onto these narratives because it'll make them feel a little better. Like, okay, well, you know what? You know, we're not monsters, right? You know, if, if, right. If there was some, some, something that explains this. And you are here, you see all the time in the, in the comments, right? People online, like, well, you know, we don't know the whole story because the idea oh, yeah. that the whole story is actually as monstrous as it sounds is too much. We don't want to believe that. Right. It makes us all, you know, you know, unsafe or whatever. And so I kind of got a glimpse into that. I'm like, OK, I get it now. Right. I'm willing to, you know, I, I myself, is, you know, is a black person just doesn't want to believe that. Right. Because it, 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 it's, it's too scary of a world. Um, but the truth of the matter is, you know, it is that scary of a world. Because here's the thing about it is if, if this had been a different situation where these weren't in the Maude Arbery case, weren't two guys who used to one guy used to be a cop and, you know, and they're a bunch of hotheads and they ran after him. I could see 70% of America would not have run after him, but they would have called the cops and the cops would have shot him down. Mm. And if the cops had mm. shot him, we would not be having this conversation at all. If a cop pull, pulls you, pulls a gun on you in the street, even though you haven't done anything wrong and you go for the gun, they, they shoot you dead and, and everybody says good for you or good for them. Mm-hmm. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's like, right. 
that suspicion that people have of black people, right, of all situations, even though there's a you know, parade of white people walking in and out of this house, but that suspicion, you know, makes us all vulnerable all the time because, like I said, people would call the cops on you. And see, that I guess that's the part for me that has always um, been harmful because, you know, I don't understand where these suspicions come from. Right. Because I, I look at it from how I was raised. The original sin of America was kidnapping children from another continent and bring them here to work for free. So if anybody should be upset about right. <laughs> and should be shooting first, it would be us. Um, but I don't understand. I think I don't know if it's just Hollywood has perpetuated stereotypes that people have accepted. But then I can't even deal with that because the movies that we watch that would glorify that behavior, white people don't watch. So, right. so I don't, I don't know where this is coming from. I think. But, but here's the thing about these. I'm not sure you're right. They don't necessarily watch them, but the things that we see. So I had experience when the the pandemic first started. I'm in the convenience store because that's you know how to do. I'm in the convenience store one day. I got my mask on. Right. A, a brother walks mm-hmm. in w- w- with a with a blue bandana around his face. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, I'm from Carson. I'm from Carson. Carson. I'm, this is blue. This colors. This is Crips and Bloods, right? Right. For third, for you know, point two two eight seconds myself, I'm like, oh shoot, it's a drive by, right? I got, I got to get out of here. The brother, by the way, is my age, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a grown mm-hmm. man, right? I, you know, when I looked at him, it took me two seconds to realize this brother is not in here to rob the store, right? But right. that had that look of think about it, and even the white people might not watch Boys in the Hood, um, although I did. They also uh, also the HBO gang specials, right? Right. right? And so right. that that idea uh, is so enmeshed in people's heads that as soon as they see it, it changes. The, the, you know, they, they immediately get you know suspicious. And the thing you mentioned earlier, though, I think it's it's a challenge is you're going to have that suspicion. That's fine. You can't get past. I can't get past that. And I'm black. All right. Mm-hmm. Right. But I don't act on it. Right? I don't immediately pull out my gun. I don't which I didn't have. I don't immediately call the police, right? I keep looking at the situation, go, wait a minute, what am I doing? I'm being ridiculous. And I think, you know, if we can get these people to say, Okay, you're gonna have your original racist thought, that's fine. But just, you know, don't act on it. Right? You, you get more every right. evidence. You know, as soon as I looked at the guy, I could tell the guy was, you know, grown man, he was wearing a polo shirt. What part of the of, of of the Crips and Blood uniform is the polo shirt? <laughs> the Beverly Hills Crips. <laughs> right, exactly, right? <laughs> Was he Carlton gone bad? Like, <laughs> it takes two seconds, but, you know, they don't do that. And, and like I said, you know, these social conditions I get, but just the idea that you act on it, you know, you, you, you've got to sort of, you know, and, and this idea that you're deputized, you know, I'm at the front door and I'm going to, Find out that you are entitled to come in this building. Right. Yeah. What's yeah. that about? Well, you know, this this is the other funny phenomenon too. So, me me growing up in Durham, uh, you know, I happen to know people who actually are gangster, and they really will be happy to have these confrontations. But they never seem to get approached. I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. They're out. They're visible. Uh, but they never seem to have these same run-ins that, you know, mild-mannered. Like, this guy from Oklahoma, he's working. He's right. actually working right. a job. Um, or if somebody, you know, moves moves to the suburbs. Like, 
the people who are actually working and contributing to society are the folks that get run up on by these white people who want to ask a million questions. But it's plenty of people out here. If you really want to be a vigilante, <laughs> it's, plenty of, it's plenty of folks that you could talk to, but they won't go there. They're, those are the people that they're going to you know, speed by, speed through to get to the other part of the town. So I, I don't know. No, I hear you. So, um, and with that, I also want to say, you know, we've also seen in the past two weeks that children are not uh, omitted from this phenomenon either. Uh, in North Carolina, in uh, in Pender County, we actually had a group that we we are calling a lynch mob. Hasn't been proven in court yet, so I guess I should say allegedly a lynch mob, but mm-hmm. lynch mob nonetheless who came looking for some other high school student who apparently was last seen with uh, some white girl from the school. And they went to the wrong house at nighttime, knocked on the door. There's uh, a black high school student and his mom. Mom sleep. Black student opens the door. There's 50 people in the yard. Right. right. One of the people happens to be a deputy sheriff from that county. And he's like, no, where's the girl? Guy's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Where's the girl? Where's the girl? Mom hears the commotion, comes outside. Deputy says, I need to come in. I need to come in. And she's like, well, you don't have a warrant, so you can't come in. Now, keep in mind, there's 50 angry, Uh probably ginned up people standing Uh outside. So this whole thing blows up, of course, on social media. Um, Everybody posts about it. And now we have law enforcement who actually was looking into the sheriff Sheriff gets in trouble, of course, uh, because you can't be openly racist. Like you're <laughs> part of the government, but you just can't be openly racist. So or he, he's also like out of his jurisdiction, right? He might have got away with it if he was in his in the out, like outside of his jurisdiction. I don't know about that. I think he was. I think he was off duty. Off duty for sure. Yeah, because I, I don't even think he was a normal just deputy. Wasn't he? But more like at a corrections. Yeah, exactly. Like he's outside of his whole thing. He didn't have no authority there. Yeah, right. Wow. Well, yeah. So, so he apparently has gotten counsel, uh, and he is trying to do a PR image change. Uh, and so he provides some insight into who he is and what his family structure is. And he basically says that, uh, he doesn't want people to get the wrong idea and assume that he is racist. Why? Because he has biracial kids. So obviously. He can't be racist. Uh, why did he say something process? Why did he not say something earlier? <laughs> but here's the thing that gets me is, it's like, think about it. You know, you and I, for instance, have this thing, you know, we were talking about earlier about the Oklahoma guy, the, the Hoa, right? It would never occur to me, even if I lived in Oklahoma, to go to this guy's house, all right, with 50 of my boys and say, we want to talk to you, right, about this situation. Like, it would never occur to me that I have that type of authority. Right. That, 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 and, and that's why I love. Like every white person seems to have been deputized in whiteness. If you're a white listener, please contact us through one of the mediums you can and tell us: Is this like part of the Sweet Sixteen or the Bar Mitzvah? Or I mean, I, don't, I, I mean, no, that's my Jewish brothers and sisters. Is it part of the cotillion? Like, at what point do they sit you down and say, "Look, now, whenever something goes wrong, you have the authority in whiteness to just handle this situation yourself." Right, you can go question him. You're going to interrogate the suspect, right? And and, and like, who would you know? What I mean, 
think that way. Your guess is as good as mine, brother. I, I don't hey, know. Hey, by the way, once again, the cops get called out. They don't run. They don't scatter. They sit there and talk to the cops. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And I tell you the difference is, remember when, when the pandemic first, when he got, there was a situation at a, what is it, a dollar store where um, a security guard there got shot because he had told a woman to put a mask on. She got upset. She then sent her husband and son back to the store. They shot the security guard. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and now here's the thing about it is I don't know if we've been they found been found yet, but they did not wait around for the police. Not only did they not wait around for the police, they haven't been home yet. All right, they gone, right? Because when you're black right. and you shoot somebody in the head, you know you got to go, right? You're not going to wait around. Right. You're not, and this is what kills me is these white people are just like, yeah, bring the cops. Come on in here. We good. <laughs> we brought a lynch mob in the 21st century, but we all right, right? And, and by the way, they were. No one went to jail. No one, you know, they tried to break in lace house and think anything about it, right? Right. And it's like there's something about it which is amazing. And so there must be a course. It must teach them. That can't be instinct. And, you know what I mean? That, that, that must be something that <laughs> you know, – O'Neal, did you go to a, a black high school? Was it integrated? You had to see some of this. Tell me. Help me. I, I don't even understand it. I, I went to one that was – we had a mix. Okay. But they, they didn't let you guys in the civics class? But it wasn't a suburban to, kind of school. So. How to no, they didn't let us in the class. That that was probably when they took people on a field trip and we didn't get to go. Ah, that was probably what they were doing. <laughs> they probably did on Juneteenth when you guys all took <laughs> the field trip. Um, you know, it is an amazing sense of you know of of dep- you know, like I said, where they just think they're responsible, entitled. I can go and. I'm gonna question this young man about it. The, the, the police aren't aren't aren't, aren't interested in him as a person of interest, but we know, right? right? Because yeah. Kai Jimmy said he saw him. And, right. you, know, that, you know, that's literally, by the way, I, that's that's like the theme of the heat of the night, right? Uh, TV show, right? the first episode there, uh, with, you know, and it's like, you know, that's like something that you know, you I would have thought we would have got past in 2020. Oh no, you know, you know, I, I, I really think a lot of this has to do with the climate politically now. I think Trump has brought racism back. You know, like he brought it back, not just back, he brought it like in concert. Um, he made it so- <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I tell you one thing, cause I, I, I sometimes push back on that theory because we you know we remember Trayvon, all this stuff happened during Obama. Right. Um, so it was here. But I do think if we saw, and I think it's on our brother-in-law page, uh, the video, if it's not, oh, probably isn't, we got to put it up there, of a white guy in the subway getting knocked out. <laughs> this is a white guy about my age, okay? Mm-hmm. Walked up on a 20-something-year-old brother, talking, smacking. The brother's backing up, backing up, backing up, causing the N-word, so I'm going to whoop you. And the brother stops and hits him with a left hook. Uh, Tyson, if you out there, you need to run. Don't come back to boxing. This brother, don't go to the subway. You got to boxing, but don't go to the subway. This brother got something for you, all right? Knock the white guy out cold. And what amazes me, I was just looking at him like, you knew you couldn't fight. right? You got knocked out in the first punch, right? So you know you ain't used to taking punches, right? But you walked up on this brother and thought, you know, whiteness was a, a, a force field. And he wasn't going to be able to get through it. And there's something about it where I think Trump has in, in endangered as, 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 as has encouraged people, you know, in that way where they think, you know what, this white supremacy is is powerful. 
and I can go in here and, 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 and attack a brother, um, and, you know, it's going to work for me. Um, I'm going to give you a little hint out there. If you're a listener, uh, it's not going to work for you. Y'all seen the videos online. I've been working on my left hook. Don't don't try it. Uh, don't do it. Yeah, I mean, again, I think people are very clever about where they pick their spots. Like you, you notice that you know usually you don't hear about videos like that coming from Philadelphia, mm-hmm. Newark, Detroit. Right. Like you don't, <laughs> you just don't hear it. I think people pick their spots to know exactly who they want to go after. Now that guy, he didn't get the memo. No. So I don't, I don't know what he was doing in the subway. Um, but you know, and, and, and the other thing about it is this. I mean, I think as, as a culture, oftentimes we are indoctrinated in this sense that we always need to turn the other cheek. We are always the ones who are looking to, I have to survive and get home to my family. That, that's kind of what we're trained to do. Right. But even though we're trained to do that, not everybody subscribes to to that belief. And I think, you know, I think for a long time, white people have known that that is what we indoctrinate ourselves in doing. And it's probably an oddity to them to see somebody who's black and who doesn't. Uh, And usually by the time you figure that out, it's already too late. It's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Way, way, yeah. John, you forgot. But here's the thing that 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 that, that gets me is because I kind of get it, right? You know, I, I haven't had a fight since I was what 13 years old, right? And mm-hmm. and part of the reason for that is being you know fairly large black man. And by the way, you know, I'm not I'm not looking to start a lot of fights either, right? Because uh, my general philosophy is if you're willing to fight me, um, you know something that I don't know. Okay. <laughs> right. If you want to walk up to a six four, two hundred sixty black, sixty four, sixty pound black man and, and start some stuff, like like O'Neill said, you either armed, right? Mm-hmm. You 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 know right. you've been watching, you've been playing a lot of Mortal Kombat, something you know, right? That I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna have to to take a second look. I'm gonna have to see some ID, right? <laughs> and so I'm always amazed when it turns out that no, they didn't know nothing at all, right? You know, uh, you just, you know, and then maybe you're drunk, and I, I guess I get that. Um, but um, but, but anyway, it, it, it's 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 bad out there. Now, only we we kind of did this all out of order because we had you on because as a brother-in-law, you do it a little differently than than, than some brothers and sisters. I usually think of a lawyer, you know, we think of a Johnny Cochran, um, a Crump, right, who does, you know, a civil rights lawyer. Um, you don't do none of that, all right? <laughs> but you do something that's actually really cool. So, you know, help us out and tell, tell the audience sort of, you know, your legal career trajectory. Well, my trajectory is I, I went to, um, I got my business degree in undergrad, and then I did my law, and a joint law and MBA program, and Ended up actually starting off practicing with my father for a couple of years, who was a practicing lawyer for 60-plus years uh, around here, and then uh, got talked into the government. And, and, uh, <laughs> what year did you go to years. the um, I, I spent 12 years with the government uh, starting in uh, the 90s, around 95. Okay. I was with the uh, state of Ohio. I've been uh, split between the – Auditor State and the Attorney General's Office, where I was part of management of both of those, and um, did a lot of different things there. All right, so how did you get and, to the to the Honda? Uh, well, they ended up having uh, they were looking for someone to do do some of the things that I did, um, 
which is originally coming over to do some contracts uh, and, and commercial transactions type uh, law. And uh, they just had an opening. I I knew about it. Uh, we had a, a very interesting person come into the attorney general's office, which are, where I was at the time. Uh, let's just say this person didn't last a whole year in the office. That's how bad they were. They were getting their law license suspended and several other people uh, criminal. So, yeah, he was uh, very slimy. So I got out very quickly before they uh, imploded and went to Honda, and I've been there for 13 years now um, and grown and done things there, started off there doing contracts and then almost immediately became the uh, em- the ERISA Employee Benefits Attorney for Honda, so I do that for all across the North America. I still supervise our contract attorneys. Um, now, you say Honda North Honda. America. How many lawyers do you have across the country in this legal department? We probably have a total in, in the in the legal department, uh, probably about legal staff, probably around 80 or so. Um, a mix of attorneys, paralegals, some other sports staff. Got it. Okay, um, and that's uh, you know, do you have, have you had to do a lot of traveling? Is, is is Honda North America completely separate from you know the Japanese Honda, or do you have to go over there every couple of weeks and do karaoke? No, don't have to go there and, and hate karaoke, but they they come and uh, <laughs> do it here. But I said that's too loud, brother. <laughs> I know because they love the karaoke. Um, <laughs> I have done karaoke with with meetings. <laughs> but we we actually Honda is 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 really a bunch of companies in America. We people don't realize we have about thirty thousand plus um, U.S. employees, and we deal with our our. I also deal with our operations some degree, and sometimes in Canada and Mexico. Um, but we've got people California and Ohio is where we started manufacturing. And the largest operation, but we've got North Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, South so Carolina. Before all this started, were you on the road a lot? Um, in spurts, That's in spurts, because you know we handled stuff across country, and then and so you know we travel for different business reasons or meetings, things like that. Um, of course, you know with electronics, there's a lot of stuff you were doing already through Skype and Teams and all that kind of stuff. Anyway. Um, and of course, that's definitely where we are now because nobody's going anywhere. <laughs> you know, because my last job in the law was in-house. Um, you know, I always tell people that you know it, it was it was a weird thing because I was a you know for a lawyer that was in a you know big large firm, right? Where you know the partners they make all that money, whatever. So you go in-house, and you don't make as much as say a partner in a large law firm or mm-hmm. associate in a large law firm. Or receptionist uh, in a large law firm. But <laughs> the two things I loved about in-house was titles. Right, you you know what you got mm-hmm. deputy, supreme, ally, command. Mm-hmm. Like, you got stars, <laughs> right? Exactly, and grand poobah. It looks good on this car, right? And, and, and sometimes, you know, you get stock options, which could, could actually work out for you. Um, and, and and it's a, it's a it's a different world. But um, I find that for us, you know, as people of color, lawyers of color, you know, some of the most successful of us are actually in-house. It seems like for some reason the opportunities seem to be better for us in-house. I'm not sure why that is. Yeah, but have you experienced that too? Well, you know, 
I think so on a whole, even though it, it's still amazingly, it's way too sparse. Right. Um, but we, you know, we've got a number like just even in uh, within Honda. That's one of the one of the people I knew was uh, somebody that was I had gone to school with who was there, who was a brother. Right. Like, he's our general counsel down in our for our for our aircraft company. Um, and, and there were others around. So, and and you see it like at corporate council meetings, things like mm. that. There's probably a higher percentage. Right. Um, even though it's still far too low, but I think because you can use the you know, it's a whole different relationship. You get to use, get involved with the business, get to know the business, and understand that, and that opens up opportunities, I think, too. Um, so I, 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 are just different. They, they are different. You know, I think a lot of it, at least when I was in, when cool, when I was in house, you know, a lot of it is relationship building. Right. Where you know, I'm gonna take everything else in life. People, you know, all things being equal. You know, like to do business with, with people they like. They like promote people they like, exactly. right? Um, and it's interesting though because the opportunities to bond in house, and I think you mentioned it perfectly, seem so much easier because you can bond around the business, right? right. You don't have to be a fly fisherman, you know, or you know, belong to the same country club and all that stuff. That kind of you know, in a in a big firm or you know, a law firm that would work that would be big. Yeah, as long as you they think think that you really care about the business too, right? <laughs> then you can build That's these relationships. That's it right there. And you can actually really, you know, I, I was fortunate. One of the things when I was in houses, you know, I always was, I wasn't even that good of a lawyer. I was a horrible lawyer to tell the truth. But I was able to have relationships that allowed James, me promote you nothing, nothing, right? I don't know if you've ever seen a Facebook <laughs> post. I've never written a Facebook post that didn't have 17 typos in it, right? That was how, you know, I, I was back then. <laughs> But even then, though, I got promoted and all the stuff because I could, you know, do that part of the game with them. Um, right. And I think, you know, it is a good opportunity for, 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 for people of color where it's hard sometimes in private practice and, and other places where if the relationship has to be built on, you know, some personal thing, whether, you know, like I said, we belong to the same country club. I, I was at a firm, for instance, once where when I went into the summer associate class, there were 14 of us. And 13 of us had gone to the same three summer camps in New York. Mm-hmm. 13 of us were of the same religion. Um, which one do you think was not? Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> From Compton. Uh, I, 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 I don't know how to say it, but uh, I, I didn't really bond that well with these people, right? <laughs> And well, there are a lot of natural kind of bonding opportunities. Yeah, when you're in house like that, because you, you you're around them, you get to see them. You can you can get to know them. Right. Like you did with a law firm, you don't get that opportunity. No, exactly. Not so, the same way. The clients, it was just it's a harder thing, and so you know, I was encouraged, you know, brothers and sisters, and and people of color. Period. That you know, if you get that opportunity, um, it, it's it's a good way to go. And I think sometimes you know we get caught with the short term money of oh, I'm going to make all this right. money in a firm. But, you know, you, you get paid pretty well in a company and, you know, you got a pension, a 401k. We talked about it before and, and then blow, blow people's minds, uh, uh, O'Neill. Uh, you're going to retire at some point, aren't you? That, I, that is the plan. Oh, <laughs> man. Jesse, he's going to retire. Oh, man. I don't Enjoy even, it. Take pictures, send postcards, man. Exactly. <laughs> you talk about this. You could retire too. You, you know, your academic career. 
people, I, I have been uh, an entrepreneur uh, for, for the last uh, 15 years. And what entrepreneur means, someone who works until they die. That's what, that's what it's French for. That's what it's French for. It's French for something else. Trust me. Um, because all this stuff, you know, when your parents told you you get a job with good benefits, uh, you know what the benefits are as an entrepreneur? Um, none. Uh, the benefit is that you actually get the right to check out for your own Obamacare. Uh, the benefit is, is that um, if you don't put whatever money you put into the 401k is matched by nobody. Oh, I got 0% matching on my 401k. <laughs> I got about a, a 32k. Right. And, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> and so what oh, ends up man. happening is and I'm lying. I mean, that, but the point is that, you know, you, you, you. And so I never took that, that really into account. Um, in other words, if you're my old employer still out there and you're listening, uh, call me. <laughs> I'm sorry I left. I come on back. I won't be so difficult this time. I, I mean, I'll even use spell check if you call me. So call me. You know how to reach me. Call me. Well, well, let let me put this out there too because um, I, I graduated from law school in 2008 when jobs all of a sudden didn't exist anymore. <laughs> and so when, when I got my law license, um, and my my students have heard this story, I, I went door to door to every small, big, and medium sized law firm in the area, basically offering my services for free. And I got called everything but a child of God. Um, you know, people were saying I was a a detriment to the to the profession and this isn't how you're supposed to do it, whatever. So after I had done that for a solid month, um, I said, you know what, you know, they've got the same law license I've got. Let me just set up my own thing and see what I can do. So I set up my own law firm, downtown Raleigh. Uh at the time the things that I was good at, I interned in the public defender's office, so I was good at uh, criminal defense, and I knew a whole bunch of criminals, so it worked out well. I also knew a great uh, deal about um, personal injury uh, and how to navigate insurance companies, uh, and so I did that. And I also did, believe it or not, foreclosure defense because the one thing that a lot of my criminal defendants would say is my mama getting ready to lose her house. So I would say, okay, well, I'll tell your mama to call me. Let me see what I can figure okay. out. So, um, and this was when, before people were really jumping on to the whole Neil Garfield, you know, foreclosure defense program. So, uh, in, in doing those things, I was able to develop my own book of business that took me into a lot of places. Now, I agree with Sean on a lot of things. There were, there were times where I didn't have a, a receptionist. I didn't have a handyman. <laughs> I didn't have a secretary. So, you know, I probably worked harder for myself and longer hours for myself for those first four years uh, than I ever have for any other employer. Right. Um, but at the same time, like there was, there was such pride that came from the things I did and the name that I was making or when I would get my billboard put up or advertisement <laughs> on somebody's, you know, uh, some college campus, like, Hey, call this guy. If you got a DUI, like that's, <laughs> that stuff was great for me. Um, and, and I think one of the things is, you know, I probably would still be doing it now but for the fact that insurance is important. And apparently uh, <laughs> my wife came through and she was like, you know, uh, we're having a baby. And I was like, well, you know, how, how many cases do I have to do to be able to afford one? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, but she did take a perfect pregnancy test, didn't she? Perfect test. Perfect. <laughs> perfect Absolutely. positive. 
Absolutely. But I, I would certainly encourage, and we've got a lot of, we, we just had a new graduating class. So congratulations to everybody in the class of 2020, even though you didn't have graduation ceremonies. Um, so I would encourage everybody who now is studying for the bar and potentially looking to see what they want to do. Um, don't limit yourself because there have been people who graduated in years where there were limits placed. And <laughs> we're kind of jealous of y'all. So, <laughs> so don't limit yourself. And I think, uh, definitely check out the opportunity to do some corporate counseling. I think that the more exposure you get, one, if you are good at it, you might open the door for some other people who look like you who are coming up behind you. Uh, the other yep. thing is, I mean, I think we just need to have those skill sets in our community anyway. Um, well, well, true. You know, yeah. One of the things, though, that, that, that that's really cool about what O'Neill does is that he gets to actually hire, right, firms, right, right. so that yeah. you end up being able to really be able to, you know, throw, 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 throw you know, you, you, you wait around, <laughs> how to say, to have some influence, right, um, right. And, and, and have, you know, corporate counsel, that's you know, you could you know like I say you find a brother or sister there and so you really have an opportunity. I know for instance I met one of uh, uh, O'Neill's um, you know um, what would be the word for it you know coworkers or, or um, colleagues or people mm-hmm. one of the people he's responsible for that happens to be a uh, sister uh, that probably mm-hmm. wasn't an accident. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so you actually you know do have some 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 power. And by the way, I, you know I don't want to make the point that you know. There are some cool things about, you know, having your, you know, your own business. But in one thing, I meet young people all the time. Have you guys experienced this? You meet a young person, bright person, you say, hey, what do you want to do? And they say, I want to have my own business. And I'm always like, slow down, because that's not really a thing in, in this sense. You know, <laughs> yeah. they think I want to work for myself. I'm like, you think I work for myself? No, I just got 54. <laughs> right? I don't get to go in and just talk about tell the silly stories I want to tell, right? I got to, you know, meet with him when you know, I have a conversation with somebody today. Like, you know, what would you like me to say? Right? And how fast would you like right. me to say it? Right? And so none <laughs> of us really work for ourselves, right? You're going to be, right. you, whether you have one boss or 50, right. you know, you're going to have that situation. And to me, it's like, if you find the thing you want to do, then you can figure out where to plug that in later. Right. But find the thing you like to do. So, for instance, I like to teach. I could actually be a professor. I could, you know, there are other things I could do than, 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 you know, sort of the, the, what I do. But the thing I like to do is that. And as long as I'm focused on that and proving that skill, I always have a job. Absolutely. Right. Right. Um, I think not being, go ahead. I think not being certain about what you think you're going to do because, you know, I found, so many people I know, and including myself, you know, wouldn't predict they're doing what, exactly what they're doing Point. now. Absolutely. And no, no, no. Pre- so many things just come out, out the blue, you know, in terms of opportunities and things like that. And so well, you didn't grow up as a little kid do. and say, I want to be deputy um, general counsel of, of Honda <laughs> of North America. I, I can find it hard to believe. You that that wasn't your, your dream. Your, your dream. It was either be a, fo- be a fireman or a football player or the deputy general counsel. No, and I think you that know, is the thing about all of us. None of us are where we thought we would be when we got out of Right. right. And, and so, you know, because uh, I see people coming out and I see people discount different areas of practice and things like that. And I, I think that uh, sometimes they're missing out because, like, like I said, I started off with the government. A lot of people go, oh, you don't want to go to state or government. Well, not only did it expose me to a lot of different areas in practice, I got to do a lot of good things. I, 
I got to sit on, uh, working for the state, I got to sit on Ohio's pension board, which were in the top ten in the country. I mean, mm-hmm. this was 15 years ago, and I was sitting as a board member on on $75 billion. That's amazing, right? Right, and and that all led to some of the stuff I do now because I did that. So that led to me doing benefit stuff at Honda um, and the connections you make. And, you know, and I started off working with my dad, and so I saw that side of practice. He had a very successful practice uh, as as an attorney, and I have a brother who's a corporate lawyer. And, and so you don't know where you're going to be, so get out there, explore, try different things. Um, and and be very be good at what you do and, and, and network because a lot of people don't do that enough. They're scared to talk to somebody and find out what they did, how they got there, and most people are happy to talk to you about it. Well, and, and what, thank you. And you said the thing there, though, right? It's like people sometimes, it, it, it's amazing, they'll be like, well, I'm not really good at networking, et cetera. It's, like, it's the easiest thing in the world. All you have to do mm-hmm. is walk to a person and say, tell me everything about you. Right. And they will be more than happy to do so. Tell you, you don't have to be witty. Shut up. <laughs> and the rule I learned, which blew my mind, and I'm, by the way, you know, this is amazing because of who I am. It, I, I've never applied it, but I hear that the rule is in any conversation, the person who talks the least is most, is the most popular one, right? Mm-hmm. That the person who talks to you for 45 minutes likes you a lot better, right? Than you like them. Mm-hmm. And the person who's listening is always going to be the person. And I have to confess, if people, I, a lot of people who listen to me, they are the most <laughs> they, they have a lot of good taste because they have the good taste to shut up and let me talk, right? It's like, you know, everything about them. And so it's not hard to do, right? But, but, but most yeah. of the people that I know who are the most successful are not the smartest, right? They're not the yeah. most creative, et cetera. What they are is the people who can shut up the best. <laughs> the people, people just the two richest people I know, and I mean like people who are self-made, but you know have fifty to hundred million dollars, are people who I think I'm smarter than. But I know one thing about both of them: they are much more likable people than I am. Everybody loves them. I love them more than I like me. Right? <laughs> it's like, you know, there is something about that. And, and half of it is the fact that they're just interested in other people, ask what's about them. And like I said, then you get to meet people who you would never know, right? Who could right. put you in position, but you don't know that until you've talked to people and, and more importantly, listen to them. Not that I'm going to start doing it, but right. for you people out there, <laughs> I talk, you listen. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'm just impressed anytime that I meet uh, successful, African-American attorneys, man, because it's, you know, grow, growing up where I grew up, we we never saw attorneys, uh, particularly attorneys that look like us. Uh, and so just to see, you know, to be connected to people like Brother Saunders or, or even uh, Sean Carter, like just to see these people is inspirational to me. And what I hope is that anybody, particularly people who are newly entering into this profession, they realize how many different doors of uh, the practice of law are available, right? Right. Because yeah. I think, you know, it's very easy, particularly if you're not coming from, you know, the Ivy League school or whatever the case may be, it's very easy to think that you have one track mm-hmm. to get to where you right. need to go. And you don't even know about the opportunities that exist out here or people who have done uh, things so you don't have to feel like you're recreating the entire will by yourself. Um, but even just for mm-hmm. the mentorship, like 
Um, but one of the challenges that I pose to my students oftentimes is I ask them whose name is going on the law license because so many of them have already committed themselves to say, I'm going to be at such and such a firm in New York for seven years mm-hmm. and I'm going to do whatever they tell me mm-hmm. to do. And I'm like, okay, well, but what is your interest? Right. <laughs> uh, right, right. So, you know, and I, and I think, you know, part of that is people wanting to, generate sufficient revenue because I think most of my students will say, I got to pay off my debts and I got to, you know, buy a house oh, yeah. and I got to do this, I got to do that. But I think there's also an added bonus only because being being a student of seeing, you know, people like Thurgood Marshall, seeing people like, you know, Martin Luther King, like just seeing movements that have created, have been created from law. Like I came out of law school not knowing what I really wanted to do and thinking, hey, maybe I could be a music attorney and, you know, Jay-Z and Beyonce will call me to go with them <laughs> to the Grammys. And I did music law for the same time that I was in private practice, but it's not as glamorous as everybody <laughs> makes it out to be. I felt like I was a dream killer because everybody sent you demos that you were like, no, nah, I can't put my name on this. <laughs> so you know this is one of those things where it's like when, when you see experiences you see opportunities i think everything for my particular path has come from largely my clients so clients who you know if i talked to them or i went to the jail to talk to them about a case and they were like wow man i really would appreciate it if you check up on my cousin who got in a car accident i check on the cousin cousin wants to hire me then mom's losing the house. Mom was hiring me. And before you know it, you know so many people in the community that for any other side projects that I did, be it my books or anything else I was doing, I had a large group of people right. willing to support because I spent yeah. five minutes getting to know them as people and not as numbers and figures. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's very important that people coming out of law school understand that, you know, even though law school has reprogrammed your brain to think about things critically and to assess valuations with everything. It's also important to remember that at the end of the day, we're all still human. We all still need networking. We all still need connection and we all still need each other in order to progress in society. Oh no, you, you preach a mouthful there, particularly the part about the idea that, you know, you want to build some connections with people that are real. And, and here's the thing about it is, you know, you don't know, I always try to tell people, you don't know, Who's important yet? Yes, right. Yes, I've I've told the story here. I'm not going to tell it again about the about how I blew off Barack Obama in law school because he didn't look like the 44th president of the United States. <laughs> he didn't have the right name. All right, there's no way in the world he's going to be president. How do you going to get a job? How are you going to get a job named Barack Obama? Right? Yeah, that was crazy, right? <laughs> but the things that I the, the few mistakes, the, the few things that that, that that I've done right, the lucky accents I've had. I'm in the business I've been in for the last 15 years, right? And had a wonderful time and you know, made a little bit of money and all that, all that good stuff. Um, and the crazy part about it is, is I got tricked into it. Mm-hmm. Right. I went to give a the guy met me and said, Hey, you need to go talk to this group of VIPs. And I'm like, all right, cool. You know, I worked my talk and I got my things together. I walk into the room and sure enough, it was a banner, a VIP and it stood for volunteers in parole. A group of lawyers and prison parolees. Not right. This talk has all the quotes from you know from 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 not just you know Martin Luther King quotes. I got quotes from you know Zig Ziglar and and from um you know um with Henry Ford. I you know, I worked this talk and I got a poem I'm, I'm reciting and all that for a bunch of prison parolees. 
right? But I'm like, hey, I got to give the talk now. I go ahead and give the talk. And there's a lawyer in the room who says, hey, that was really, really good. I like that. Can you come to our bar association? And I'm like, nope, won't do it. Not going to do it. I'm, I was going to be, I don't know, but you know, but I was going to be the tall Kevin Hart. I was going to be a real comedian. I don't this kind of crap. And so I was like, look, man, you know what? I'm not doing that. I got principles. And he was like, well, we got a budget. And I'm like, how much is your budget? And it wasn't a lot, but it was more than my principles. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go ahead and do it for you one time. And that was literally over 2,000 times ago, right? But the uh, but what got me there, though, was doing something for someone, and it was a favor to talk to these, you know, <laughs> this, this strange group where I would have never gotten to meet the person who gave me a whole career, right? She paid for my kids and, you know, my kids to college and, and all of that, bought my house, but not because I had this master plan of let me go here, let me go there, but just I met someone who met someone who knew someone and asked me to do something, and I decided, first time I did CLE, I mean, there was continuing education. I had no idea of what this would be and how it could be, but I was just like, you know, let me try it. What could, what could it hurt? Right. right. And, and so, you know, don't be like you said, you know, so sure of what you think you're going to do. Be flexible. Right. You know, I mean, you know, be decent with people who, even if they're not important yet, might be important. I think that's one of the most important things because I've seen so many instances, including with me, where people who you never would have thought could have done jack for you mm-hmm. end up. Oh, later on, well, now they're the manager of this or the partner of that, or maybe they're not, but their cousin or their brother Thank you. or their sister. Right. Absolutely. No, no, you never, yeah, ever know who's important. That's why you can't. But it's, it's right. so funny thing is, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm tempted if you, you know, if you catch me not on the air and at, at, at a bad time uh, to actually play favorites. Mm-hmm. I'm tempted to be like, oh, they can't do nothing. Now that I think about them, right? <laughs> you have to well, yourself, like, no, you can't do that because you don't know. Right. And you don't want to be that person that's only talking to the executive VPs all the time and not to the other people. You know, yeah. I got to tell you, when I was, it's so funny because when I was in, in a firm, when I was actually very good about that. When I was, I'm sorry, when I was in house. And it helped the company a lot because I would always know when there was going to be a sexual harassment lawsuit or whatever. And here's why. Mm-hmm. Because at the time, I used to smoke. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and yeah. by the way, this is California in the early 2000s. So basically, we we should have been out there smoking crack the way people looked at us, right? We were just like, you know, the pariahs, <laughs> right? We might as well got our, our fun on. And because of that, though, I'm hanging out with, you know, the lowly cigarette smoking crowd. But as a result of that, yeah. they, try, you know, I got relationships with them, and and, and we, you know, they would tell me, oh, so and so is going to do that, and whatever, and was able to to really be helpful in ways that other people couldn't be because I had friends who weren't just all corporate VPs, et cetera, right? right. And so, absolutely, and I think as a, as a person of color, this will also help. Think about it. You've got some relationships with people in that company that your colleagues would never have because you're not going to oh, walk right. by Sister Shirley and not say nothing. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 you know, I, I learned that from my parents. See, you talk to everybody, you treat everybody the same. You know, like I said, my dad was a lawyer. He was well known around town. I literally walked down the street with him and had him greet and talk to by name. Everybody, literally from the bum begging for money on the street, who still knew him. Hey, Charlie, and, and talked to to in that same walk the mayor. He's like, no, no, hey, Charlie. Me. Tell me about this because anyway, your dad is, is a lawyer in what the the fifties, sixties. 
Originally, he, he started practicing in the 40s. He's one of the earliest. Oh, wow. Uh, Right, he's got to be one of the earliest right, man, and so certainly he could have, you know, said, "Oh, I'm too good for you people." He stayed you know, with the community. Mm-hmm. I, I, is is that you think that was obviously it's, it's part of his character, but is that also part of the fact that you know at the time I imagine he probably couldn't have moved out to you know whatever the the, the big suburb is. It was, well, it was kind of him him and my mom. They were both like that. My mom was uh, had her master's in social work, <laughs> and she ran a youth. She ran a youth center. Uh, How do you have the two most too. educated parents in, in the 40s? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Really? A master's and a doc and a lawyer? Really? Yeah. So she oh, was, man. Yeah, they, were, they were something else. And um, yeah, my mom was probably, uh, you know, she was quiet but strong and just probably the smartest person I know. She graduated from high school like at 16 from southern, in southern Georgia. Oof, um, wow. Um, but, uh, so he, they just were like that. They stayed in the same house the whole time. They had an apartment a couple years when they first got married, and then they got the house where they were, and they stayed in that neighborhood the whole time. And, and the youth center she ran was not far away. And he, he, my, my dad drove a beat up car. He looked at me, he would never guess he was a lawyer. He like, oh man, I, I remember when I was young, come on dad, you know, get something else. Right, right, right. So right. Here. And yeah, he's a successful lawyer, he got all these clients, he got clients with multiple million dollars. He's driving up in this car, rear view mirror taped on and stuff like that. He didn't care. He's like, I don't need it. It works. <laughs> no, no, because you know, here's the thing. I, I, I was asking about that. It's like I'm noticing a change. And, I, you know, all of us, for instance, we see a brother or sister on the street. You give him the nod. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. My, 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 my sons, my, they, they, punk ass, they might cross the street. Uh, they, they, I, I didn't raise two, <laughs> two, two, two middle class white women. Um, <laughs> your son Jesse's a little young, but, but O'Neill, your son's by, is, is he, is, is, is he black, black? Yeah, he is. Oh, good, he, good. He, he gets, well, it, it's hard though in the suburbs to kind of, I know. That. I mean, fortunately, both my my kids are into it, and um, even though, you know, definitely the schools they were in was mostly white. He's always been, you know, interested in black culture. He's, you know, in, in college he joined the black fraternity, but he gets along with everybody. I mean, he's got friends now. Everybody loves him. He, you never know who he's hanging out with. Oh yeah, you you, friends, you, yeah. <laughs> you can't be exclusively black. Um, not not unless not if you want to mm-hmm. have good credit. So let me let's be clear about that. <laughs> right. But, 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 you know, the idea, for instance, that you have this, and he does, I mean, obviously, a black frat, you know, you have this affinity with black people. My, uh, you know, my, one, one of my kids now, is, I mean, he's, probably, he's probably about 12 at the time. We go to his school, right, his little prep school, and we meet the teacher, math teacher, and the math teacher is black. And I'm amazed. Mm-hmm. Right, I never, he never had a black teacher before, and I, and she talks to me, <laughs> talks to him. And I said, you know, you've had a teacher for for a month now. Why didn't you tell me your math teacher was black? And he was like, why would that matter? And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and so I'm explaining to him, she's looking out for you, believe it or not. And, and here's what I think about it is, I'd have to, I'd have to meet her to know she's looking out for him, right? I know the sister was looking out, yeah, right, for, for one of the few black kids. No, for a well, fact. And he was like, kind of like, oh, that's how. I'm like, yes. That's how it works, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and, and, but you know, when you go, you know, you go up in the suburbs, and you've been watching too much damn Pokemon. It, it's hard. They don't teach that that, that lesson in the Pokemon episodes. Right. Just, so Jesse, you you know you got a little Mac out there. How's he on his blackness scale? Uh, well, I mean he he with me, so <laughs> he has to. 
Um, no, I was pleasantly surprised because we moved out uh, out here into the suburbs. And this is I was telling uh, Sean when, when we first moved out here, this was all new to me. Like, I grew up in the hood, so it's so it's, mm-hmm. like, it's like wow, people are walking around and you know, they don't need to go follow their kids. kids redo what they want. Animals walking around, like okay. So uh, when oh, yeah. I went to the school, um, you know, I was kind of nervous because I was like, you know, I don't I don't know how things work out here. Uh-huh. And uh, I was taking a tour of the school, and they introduced me to the principal, and the principal was a sister. I looked at her, gave, gave it a head nod. She gave me the head nod. Since then, she loves my son. My son loves her. Uh, so, so I know if there's any issue, I'm gonna get a call. Uh, and and I know that she's coming from a good place. Uh, this year was, I think, his first year with a black teacher. Uh, she same thing. She's down. She'll email me Absolutely. if there's something I need to do. Uh, and then my son, I, I take him on frequent trips because he still knows his his uncles. He don't hang out with his uncles as often as he probably would have had I not moved out here. Right. But he still knows you know, uncles or whatever who uh, may not necessarily be living the same lifestyle that I am. Uh-huh. Uh, and so they they don't necessarily tolerate weakness. They don't tolerate, you know, there's a standard that they're going to expect from him when he comes there uh, that I don't necessarily hold him to at the house because I like seeing somebody innocent and be able to play and have fun and grow and learn. Um, so it's it's been an experience together. Um, the best thing I think about having a, a kid is I get to see a whole new side of the parent that I had uh, because the parent that I had is very lenient, <laughs> apparently, uh, nowadays. Uh, <laughs> she's not heavy-handed at all. She's not a disciplinarian anymore. Uh, she just spoils people riding, and um, I'm not sure how I missed that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, 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 I hear you. But let's say, for instance, when you know you, you, you know, you go pick him up at school or drop him off at school. I, I'll have this experience. I'll see another black kid out there, and I'll say to my son, Brennan, who's that? He'll be like, I don't know. Like, what do you mean you don't know? How do you not know? <laughs> and he's like, he's not my class. I don't care to be in your class. What's wrong with you? You supposed to know every black person in here. And he, was, and he grasped at that once. He was like, why? And I'm like, why? And I really have a good answer for him. I'm like, uh, because, because that's what black people do, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, when I was a kid, you know, you just sort of, you know, uh, uh, you know, understood that. Like I say, you grew up in a black neighborhood where, you know, my whole life I've had a community of people rooting for me, right? And, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. trying to, to take care of me and looking out for me in ways that, you know, strangers probably shouldn't. And, and so, you know, that idea, I'm, I'm hoping to try to, you know, instill in him where he does that, you know, you know, with his kids where, you know, there's some idea of identity, you know, these people are connected to you. And, you know, because if you don't, you know, you've got to make, I make an explicit effort for it. We had to talk the other day because otherwise he thinks of blackness as like left-handedness. Mm. Right, you would never go around and say, "I know all left-handed people," right? <laughs> Where, because everybody's been taught, you know, color doesn't matter, et cetera, et cetera. And he's like, "No, no, no, I understand. It's not gonna, you know, color isn't is, isn't something that should keep you from doing what you want to do in life, but it is a thing. Right. And you know, yeah. if you use it properly, if you use it well, it can actually help you. Some of the, you know, the 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 the, the um, most fruitful relationships I've ever had are with black professionals who have looked out for me, particularly older ones. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, right. it's a selfish thing where they look out for me because I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna ruin their reputation, right? If, if I don't get my stuff together, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, I I don't know that there's necessarily any kind of formula to it. I think, you know, I I, I try hard, even though my, my child is very young, but I try hard to kind of emphasize and highlight situations that are going to be uh, judged racially when he gets older. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know he already, I mean, he's, he's Mr. Popular. Like, I don't even know who this guy is when we get to the school. So there's a line of people who are like, Oh, hey, Jay, hey, Jay, hey. Um, so, so everybody loves him. All the kids from all different ethnic backgrounds, they love him. Oh, great. Um, and I think he's just a cool kid, but he's cognizant of things that come up, even microaggressions that I guess they deal with in the classroom now. Yeah. So uh, I know there were two other, um, black kids in his class. And one of the white kids called him by a different black kid's name. And he was like, oh, I wonder, you know, how he got confused by that. I wonder why he did that. You know, I guess because we're black. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so I think he, he gets those things. And then, of course, you know, I, I have the pleasure of having somebody who eavesdrops my conversations at all times, at the worst times possible. Uh, and likes to go back and relate that to my wife about what dad was talking about. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm sure he picks up a lot of things that probably aren't good um, for those conversations as well. But I also take him to campus. So I take him around Duke and let him okay. meet all the professors. And, you know, everybody knows him. So I was like, you know, when this application comes and I'm asking you all to look out for these scholarships, um, <laughs> <make sure>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I hear you know we're we gonna keep it on because you actually gonna break the quarantine tomorrow and, and go back to work huh brother i am for a short bit and then uh <laughs> right back to remote work <laughs> and but like i said we're in on that, that note um this is what uh may 21st i guess we need to keep uh the corona watch on I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Arizona, we had tried out the, the, the quarantine. We, we decided it didn't fit. Um, and it just wasn't comfortable. Um, I am now <laughs> at the point where it is hot out here and I'm wearing a mask, you know, and, and people are now laughing at me. Uh, and, and, and <laughs> oh no. Calling me, you know, female genitalia. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it, it's rough out here in, in Phoenix. Because uh, oh, you know, man. if you don't get at least a little of, of the row row, you ain't a man out here. Uh, oh, we, man. You know, we, we, we ain't thinking about it. How is it in Carolina and Ohio? Well, North Carolina, um, we 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 were we had a strong governor uh, two weeks ago <laughs> who was going to wait for the science and make sure that everything was done in a measured approach. Uh, and then white people with guns came down. <laughs> We're opening next week. <laughs> and what's going on in Ohio? Are you guys going to stay closed or are you, you opening up? Oh, no, we, we opened up. We had the same. Ours was getting all the praise, you know, for being strong and, and promoting safety and all that stuff. And, <laughs> and, and, and we, you, you, you might have saw the pictures that were live on Facebook, but they were memes and stuff of them protesters outside. They're all up against the glass like kids looking in the book. That was it. Yeah, that was Ohio. Now, they didn't have guns because that's one thing about Ohio. They don't allow guns in the state out. They will shoot you. Yeah, Cleveland, yeah, that's, that's where Tamir was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, they, was, but, they, were getting, but they were getting pressure um, to get it down, so he kind of changed us often. So today was the first day for, op- for restaurants to be open, and he's been opening up all the other stuff to – 
tattoo parlors so I can get my tats and <laughs> yeah, you need to run in the hot. You need to run in your company with with, with some tats. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I have to tell you that to me, I'm, and we'll have to talk about it another time because we don't have enough time to try to figure this out. But maybe someone can do some extra credit for us in, in the listening audience and help us understand, especially if you're white, um, why the people with the most to live for um, are, are trying to get killed the most. <laughs> you know, it's amazing the fact that it's become, you know, kind of, I mean, because here's the thing about it is, I love the fact that everything else in America is broken down and there's two groups of people, right? There are, you know, slight majority of white people and everybody else. All right. You, you ain't seen no black people. I don't care. Think about it. Black Lives Matter meant that, uh, that, 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 that you know, coronavirus wasn't going to help us. And so I don't mm-hmm. I don't remember seeing you know NWCP marching for for opening up and we got stuff you know we we have economics too right to worry about but something right. about this idea that you know you just don't think it can happen to you um it can happen to you yeah yeah it's coming and this Memorial Day weekend too man Myrtle Beach is open for business people <laughs> I already oh, yeah. see pictures of people trickling in right now so uh, it's uh it's gonna be interesting. Well, hey, on and up. So, so for the you know the twenty eight percent of you who will still be alive when we come back next time, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we look forward uh, to to you being here. Um, and anybody else will have any special shout outs, um, marketing ploys? You, you gonna be appearing at a comedy club somewhere? Anybody? Well, I, I was just gonna say if you haven't already uh, followed us on Facebook. Make sure that you follow the Brothers-in-Law page. That's B-R-U-T-H-A-S-N-Law, L-A-W, uh, on Facebook. Also, you can feel free to shoot us an email, brothersinlaw at gmail.com. Uh, we have been getting some emails here recently, so that's uh, very interesting. And we want to make sure that we have that open line of communication. Also, because we got O'Neill here, you know, o- O'Neill is at Honda, so I want to make sure that we put, do a strong push. Oh, yeah. They're Honda of North America. Uh, they are reliable cars. My first two cars were Hondas. I love them very much. Uh, Honda's great. And no, O'Neill did not come me a check to say that. Uh, but if he wanted to, I wouldn't be mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. By the way, so if someone does, does buy a, uh, um, a Honda, if we use your name, can we get a discount? Uh, they probably charge you extra for that. <laughs> Hey, everybody, thank you so much. We'll see you next time.